Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Well, our Father, we come to you this, this day. We want to breathe in deep more of who you are, convinced of what you've done, eyes to see what you are doing. And so, God, what we're asking is that you would give, you would give us more of yourself. So forgive us even now for the ways that we get in our own way, that even now we are distracted, even now we are consumed by other things, and I'm praying that even me, God, that I would get out of my own way, that, that we, would, we would actually hear from the living, speaking God today, and that what we would come to find is that belonging in, in your presence, surrounded and consumed by the glory of the living God, that that is in fact a place we get to belong because of Jesus. And so it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, it's official. Football season is upon us. Some of you may have noticed. Uh, it was a big day for me as a Texas Longhorns fan. It's uh, been 13 terribly long years of mediocrity. Yesterday felt like maybe a turning of a page, just maybe. And there's a, a specific mantra that this time of year kind of floods into the system for all of us especially deep in the heart of Texas. Fall is hopefully coming soon, and football season is in full swing, and there is this mantra that, that we all have maybe heard or interacted with to some degree, and it's this, clear eyes, full hearts. Can't lose, see? I know you could do it. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. You see, this, serendipitously, this kind of summarizes the passage for us today. Uh, that the Apostle Paul is going to make an argument. He's going to make a defense of his ministry. He's going to make a defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in that defense, what he's going to beckon the church at Corinth, this church that he has planted and nurtured, this one that is in, in danger of robbing itself of experiencing God in the fullness of who he is, he's going to speak a word of defense of his ministry and the gospel he represents to them. And what he's going to tell them is, when you have a clear vision, when you have a clear view of God's glory, guess what? It satisfies your heart's deepest longing. But that is only true if Jesus' face is in view. What we're going to come to find in studying this passage is that, is that we've been on this journey, friends. We've been on this journey as, as a church body. We have been chasing after God's glory as the prize. And if you've been with us for any number of weeks, you know that this hunt of glory began with us recognizing that it's better than anything. The glory of God, the fullness and the splendor of all of his goodness and his character, it's better than anything in the cosmos. And what we get to experience together, together, side by side, is, is believing all over again that it's a communal endeavor. We actually get to experience God's glory right next to each other, more fully when we do it side by side. Not only that, we've also learned that though that should inspire gratitude in our hearts, what it actually inspires in our sinful nature is grumbling. Because we look at our situations and we don't see God's glory affecting it all. We only see our stuff and our prerogative. And last week, we, we came to this vision in Ezekiel where he sees God's glory. 
It awakens awe. It inspires amazement in his heart. And then it brings him really low to the ground. I'm talking face onto the ground sort of low. And that's where we're going to pick up this morning. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week, where our faces are to the ground. And what we're going to come to find is that in this glory hunt, if we're chasing after the prize of God's glory, we're going to learn today that clarity is kindness when it comes to the glory of God, but only in the light of Jesus' face. Only in the light of Jesus' face is clarity kindness when we're after God's glory. So how are we feeling this morning? Are we ready to dive in? Clear eyes, full hearts. I don't know if you're ready. I don't know how ready you are. Hopefully we'll get more ready as the morning goes along. Here we go. Let's dive into the text with me. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 12. It reads this. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. I want to pause here, and I want us to recognize together that Paul, in the defense of his ministry, and the reason he has to do this is because the people in Corinth look at Paul's life and they're thinking, you're always in jail. How can this be good news? You get thrown out of that town and then that town and then that town. People try to stone you, Paul. Like, how can this be great for us? And in the defense of his ministry and therefore the gospel of Jesus Christ, he provides a history lesson. He exposits for us a couple of chapters in Exodus. He compares his ministry to that of Moses. And so I want us to turn quickly just to Exodus 34 because I want us to feel the weight of the history lesson that that Paul is taking us into. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 29, it reads this. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, down from glory with God, with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, he came down from that mountain, and Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Now, Paul is expositing that text, navigating those waters. Why? Because he's trying to make a claim. There was once upon a time when the people of God, the Israelites... Their interaction with the glory of God looked a certain way. It was veiled awareness. That was how the people of God once interacted with God's glory, veiled awareness of it. Now, scholars and commentators have argued, well, why why is Moses doing this even at all? Why Why is Moses putting a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze or fixate their eyes on something that's going to eventually come to an end? Why? What's the purpose of that? Why do the people of God in Exodus 34 see Moses' face, know he was with God in all of his glory, and they tremble? They're fearful. They're in dread. Why? 
Because for the Israelites, the glory of God equates oftentimes to judgment. But to them, we, we've got to go into their shoes. But they experience God's glory in plagues upon a nation, in Red Sea being parted and then crushing over the strongest military power in the world because a Pharaoh was disobedient to God, would not listen to his voice. They've experienced cloud and fire, plague and seas parted. They've experienced provision, yes, but judgment in droves. Even in their own disobedience to God, they've experienced the glory of God in judgment. And so for them, when they see Moses coming down that mountain and they see his face radiating, they're saying, Moses, I understand you get to talk to God as a friend, but put it away because what's good for you pronounces judgment over me. That's what the Israelites have experienced up to this point of God's glory. And so, of course, Moses would want to veil his face. He doesn't want the Israelites to only view God's glory as judgment because that's not all of it. And so Paul, in his argument, is saying, Moses, his ministry was of the law, of the letter, and of death. That's what he says in the earlier verses of this chapter. And he says, my ministry, the one that I get to be a part of by the mercies of Jesus Christ, is a ministry of life, of spirit that's eternal. But I want us to recognize together before we move on that you and I, in many ways, still posture ourselves like the Israelites who looked at Moses and said, whoa, good for you, Moses. What's good for you, though, makes me feel terrible about myself. It makes me feel judged. Because if I'm honest, uh, I've got a, a dear friend, Chris, and uh, Chris and I have been friend for, friends for 15 years almost. And uh, in college, I wish you, I wish you guys could like, just come in to peer into my mind a bit. So Chris is a friend who's much smaller than me, but for all of my life has been much stronger than me. Like He just... He works out a ton. He's very disciplined. So he's smaller than me, but has always been stronger than me, always been fitter than me, always been faster than me. And uh, I, have to, I have to confess this. I was hoping this year as he became a new father. He's got a few-month-old daughter. I was like, this is it, guys. This is the time. This is where I get to climb up the ladder. He will no longer be so much stronger than me, so much fitter than me. It's finally going to happen. And lo and behold, he's stronger now than he was before. I don't understand, because I'm a dad, and I come home, and I'm wiped. All I want to do is lay down, but he, all he wants to do is go work out. After being a devoted father and a thoughtful husband, he just keeps on going, and so I am discouraged looking at him, and I want to be happy for him. You know what I mean? I want to look at him and say, good for you, but what's good for him is pronouncing judgment over me. Like, I feel squishier than I ever have, and I can't help but feel like Every time I see him, good for you, dude. Put it away. Get out of here. Because what's good for you is pronouncing judgment over me. And though, though that's a comical example, and maybe one that you maybe don't associate with as well as I do, we do this all the time. Maybe you're in the room today, and you've been longing to be married for some time. And then you get the news that, a friend of yours, a close friend, met somebody spontaneously. Things have been progressing quickly, and now they're engaged. And you want so badly in your heart to be happy for that friend. But what's good for that friend feels like a pronouncement of judgment over your story. 
It feels like a declaration of sadness over your circumstance. Or maybe you're in the room today and you long to be a mother or a father, and you've been longing for years for that to happen. And yet you hear of yet another family, another couple that's getting to experience the excitement of we're pregnant and all you want is to be a good friend or a good sibling and be happy for them, but you can't because what's good for them pronounces judgment over your story. And whether it's a promotion or a house purchased in this climate right now, whatever it may be, you may be here in this seat and thinking what's good for you feels just terrible for me because it pronounces judgment or something like that over my story. You see, we do this still. We, like the Israelites, grapple with this reality. And what we're, what we're learning from this text, the reason why the Apostle Paul is bringing us to this point, this history lesson has a, an asterisk to it. What Paul is saying, this is not what we have to experience anymore. You no longer have to have a veiled awareness the, the judgment radiating from the face of another, you no longer have to interact with the glory of the living God this way. You see, because in this climate, before the new covenant was established, the wilderness generation, Moses and all of his ministry, you see, clarity of God's glory in that time would have been unkind. It would have been unkind to get a clear view of the glory of God because it pronounced judgment over them. And the invitation this morning is that doesn't have to be our story. Clarity can be kindness for us in chasing after the glory of God. And Paul is going to unpack for us how that can be possible. Look back in the text with me. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. It reads this. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We could do a whole sermon series on those two verses. We're just going to spend a few minutes there this morning. But I want us to pause and recognize in awe and in wonder as to what these verses are actually unpacking for us. So historical context, again, this lesson that Paul is unpacking for us is in Exodus 33, Moses audaciously asked God, I want to see all of it, God, all of your glory. Show it to me. What does God do? God says, you can't. If I showed you, you would die. Holy God, sinful man, it cannot happen. So I will put my hand over your face. You'll be put in the cleft of a rock. You'll be tucked away in some stones. And I will walk past and you'll just see my backside. That's all that Moses got. And what Paul audaciously is claiming now is that we can behold the fullness of the glory of God and you don't have to put a veil on to see it. Did you hear him? He said, we all. That's you today. That's me we all, not Paul, not Moses, all of us get to see and behold the fullness of the glory of God, unabated. And the reason that that is true is the Spirit. Three times over in these two verses, the Spirit. Did you catch it? The Spirit is the Lord. And in, in context of these verses, he's saying that same God who is atop Mount Sinai, 
swirling in a cloud, flashes of fire and of lightning, the booming voice that made everybody fall to their faces. That Lord is the Spirit. And you know what that Spirit does in you and in me, for those who are in Jesus Christ? He ushers in freedom. He ushers in freedom and he invites us into transformation to become, to become more and more like that which we behold. You see, this is the role of the Spirit. His moniker in my mind's eye from this passage is he is your comforting assurance. Your comforting assurance. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. Because you, you know why? Because you, like the Israelites, behold God in all of his glory. And you wonder, how can, how can me and all my deficiencies, me and all my terrible things that I did last night and this week and this month, the ways that I have not devoted my life to the Lord, I do not deserve to belong in his presence. And the spirit of the living God whispers into your ear, keep on going. You're right where you belong. Take another step. Fix your eyes on the glory of God. One more step. Do it again. Wake up. See him again. That's the refrain constantly from our comforting assurance that is the spirit of the living God. He's ushering in freedom for you and not judgment. Though we want to feel that. We want to sow fig leaves together like Adam and Eve before we, we go before the Lord. We want to look better and look right. We want to hide. And, and Paul is saying with exposed face, unveiled, you get to behold the glory of God and belong there. Let that soak in for a moment. You see, what this reminds me of is the reticence that my son, my boy Elijah, has whenever he gets near water. So he, here's, a, here's a picture of me and my son. And to this day, any body of water, small pool, ocean, whatever it may be, I'm trying to get him to play. I'm trying to get him to enjoy. Like, the water's fine. And all he does in those moments is cry and, like, start pressing against my legs behind him. And then he'll dig his face into my knee all he wants is to just get away. And Kevin and Kami McKean, who we got to, you know, go on this little trip away with, will testify to the fact it took a while. It took a while to get this picture, to get him into the water, for him to splash and play and have a, and have a blast of a time. But in so many ways, he's, he's thinking to himself, right? like enter the mind of a two-year-old with me, of like, my guy, I'm too small. The water's too deep. I'm not coordinated enough for this. You can swim. I haven't learned that just yet. And everything that I'm trying to speak into him is, I'm right here. I'll hold you the whole time. I'm going nowhere. I'm right here. And I know that without me, the water would spell danger for you. I get that. I don't want you around water when I'm not here. But when I am there, with me here next to you, that danger is no longer dangerous, treacherous. The water is actually adventurous. Right? That's what I'm trying to rehearse over his, his, his little mind. I'm trying to whisper it into his ear. I know it's danger without me, but it's adventure with me. I promise you it'll be the adventure of a lifetime. Let's go. And that is the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Without him, treacherous. Without him, judgment. Without him, you don't belong in the presence of the glory of the living God. But with him, it's like a liberty bell ringing over your days. Freedom is here. You belong in the presence of the glory of God. Whoa. 
Seven Mile Road. Can we just can we just breathe that truth in a little deeper today? The old covenant people could not taste this. They could not even fathom it. That's why with great jealousy and envy, they look at us who have the spirit of God indwelling in us, rehearsing that truth over our days. Right here in the glory of God is where you belong. He's whispering it into our ears at every turn. Take another step. Fixate your gaze upon the glory of the living God, and you will become more like him. And so as the Spirit assures us that clarity can actually be kindness in this glory hunt that we're on, I just want us to feel the weight of, of this passage. I want us to recognize together that we get to be the new covenant people of God. And so when the Apostle Paul is defending his ministry, defending the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ in the midst of chains and of being stoned and of being cast out, what he's saying is it's better than anything. It is truly good news. And we're not even to the climax of it yet. Look in the text with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let me read that one more time. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Here we go, team. It's the buildup. We've arrived. The history lesson of what the old covenant people used to have to experience. Veiled awareness of God's glory was judgment radiating from Moses' face. And then he's saying, by the spirit of the living God, guess what? With unveiled face, you get to approach him and belong. Freedom reigns even in all of your exposure. But then it, it begs the question, what is at the end of this procession? Where are we getting to on this glory hunt? It's a faith. It's a face of Jesus Christ. It's the face of the one who, who spoke the world into motion. This history lesson that Paul is taking us down goes even one step further. He says, remember in Genesis 1 where the world was only void? It was only dark. There was only obscurity. What did God do? He said, let there be light. All of a sudden, light pierced through the chaos and life bubbled up. And that same God of all glory, of all splendor, and of all power is the same God in John chapter 1 who took on flesh and dwelt among us. He is the light of the world, Jesus, who pierces through the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. So from Genesis 1 to John chapter 1, here comes Jesus saying, the light of the world, piercing through the dark, I've arrived. And as we wrap our minds around what is happening to our hearts, he's saying, if you see me clearly, if you see the face of Jesus Christ with great clarity, if you have clear enough eyes to see it, your hearts will be filled. I'm shining a bright light into your heart to fill it anew in the face of Jesus Christ. That same glorious God speaking life into a chaotic void, taking on flesh to pierce through the darkness, all of a sudden we get to see who it is. 
the end of the triumphal procession of the Spirit of God in us. And I just have to highlight here, the Scriptures are heartwarming, mind-boggling. The intricacy, the intentionality. I'm going to turn our attentions to Matthew 17. The verses will be on the screen here behind me. Matthew 17, just a snapshot of what's going on. Jesus takes a few of his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he says, boys, we're going to go up to a mountaintop because God does a lot of work on mountaintops. We're going to go up to a mountaintop, and guess what happens there? Moses appears radiant. Elijah appears radiant. Jesus is radiating all of a sudden. Moses, the fulfillment or the epitome of the law. Elijah, the the epitome of the prophets. And Jesus, the fulfillment of both. The fulfillment of the law and of the prophets. And they're just having a little conversation. A little holy huddle. And what, what does Peter say? Man, it's really awesome that we're here. We should do something. We should build you some tents. And as he's talking, God the Father says, shh, clouds. Reminiscent of Exodus 34, no? Clouds appear. And then a voice booms from heaven. And what does he say? This is my son. Stop talking. Listen to him. Listen to him. And I want you to just pay attention to what Jesus does in this moment. As the disciples do what they ought to do, they fall flat on their faces, foreheads to the ground. They're good Jews. They know when the glory of God comes, you you get on your face. Stop talking, get on your face. That's what you do. What does Jesus do in response? Verse 6, when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and he touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. What you may think is happening in this moment is that Jesus, Jesus from something of a distance, maybe from a, a higher platform, a, a bigger stone, looks down at his measly disciples with their faces on the ground and says, get up, look, eyes of fire, hair like wool, voice of many waters. But that's not the Jesus they see. You want to know what Jesus does in this moment? As they're fearfully and, and just terrified down on their faces, he stoops down low, and he touches their faces. And he lifts them up so that they can see his right up close. And you know what they see? They see an ethnically Jewish mid-30s carpenter. What they feel on their faces are calloused hands, working with wood all the days of his life. They see Jesus, gentle and lowly, humble and contrite in spirit, a suffering servant. They see a Jesus who came to take on flesh just like theirs. They see a Jesus who lived a life of wholehearted submission because they could not, of perfect obedience in their stead. The the same Jesus, they saw a face that would be crucified up on a Roman tree, dying the death that they deserve to die in their place. Why? Why did Jesus show them in all of his glory in this, in this amazing climactic moment, why did they see that face? Because that's the end of the procession. That's the culmination of why this ministry is better, of why the gospel really is good news. Friends, you want to know what we're hunting for and hunting for God's glory? We're longing to see more and more of the face of Jesus the Lamb of God, 
Because if we see him humble and contrite, gentle and lowly, suffering servant, if we see that Jesus, we will become more and more like him. This is a chase worth pursuing. This is a prize unlike any other. You want to know what we're after, Seven Mile Road? We're after the glory of the living God. So with that being said, I just want to make, just want to make this invitation with clear eyes that maybe you ever have had before. Will you allow the face of Jesus to fill your heart's deepest longing? The fact that you can belong in the presence of God as long as it's his hand that lifts up your countenance to see his upon you. A gentle countenance, a kind countenance, a merciful face. That's the one that we get to see God in all of his glory. Can't lose. Let me pray for us. Holy God, we come to you today and we recognize that we don't deserve this, God. (laughs) We don't deserve to get to have the Spirit ringing freedom's bell over our days. We don't deserve to get to see you with such clarity in all of your glory and splendor. We don't get to see the face We don't deserve to get to see your face, and yet it's exactly what you came to do. You love having light shine through the darkness. And so, God, what I'm asking this this day is that you would do it again. Pierce through the darkness of my heart, of our hearts. Shed light onto your face all over again. And as we experience your glory, as we behold it in full, may we become more like you, our Savior and our King. Jesus, we love you. We are so grateful for you. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.